Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very, very much for being on. Um, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Would you, why don't we just start off if you want to tell the audience a bit about yourself and your latest book? Sure. Um, my name is T. Krulos. I'm a, a journalist and author. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and um, I've authored five nonfiction books. Most of them are about unusual subcultures or groups of people. And um, my last major book was American Madness, which uh, delves into conspiracy land. So I met um, a guy who has some very strong conspiracy beliefs named Richard McCaslin. And the book kind of follows his life and the world that he lives in. And this is kind of specifically QAnon conspiracies, right? Uh, he is a little bit older school than QAnon. Um, and in fact, when QAnon came around, he, um, he didn't really believe, he believed that they were like a, a false flag type of group because he was so deep into conspiracy that he kind of saw other conspiracies as being part of the conspiracy, if that makes sense. Right. Well, in my experience, every conspiracy theorist wants to be the only conspiracy theorist that has the full truth. Right. Yes. Exactly. So what did your, in this individual, uh, what was it about this individual that made you uh, zero in on him so much? And also what was the, you know, what was the broader thesis that you drew out of uh, your, your work with this person in terms of what's going on in America right now? So um, it, it was kind of, I was working on a different story when my life intersected with Richard my first book uh, was titled Heroes in the Night, and it's about this subculture of people called real-life superheroes. And they adopt their own superhero personas, and some of them actually like go out on the street and try to fight crime and stuff like that. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I had been working on this book, and I had a blog related to it, which was really helpful. I could get some material out there. and. It got some good traffic because news uh, outlets would sometimes cite my blog for information. And so one day I got an email from Richard and he was like, hey, I saw I saw your blog and I think you might be interested to talk to me because back in 2002, I adopted my own superhero persona and I raided this place called the Bohemian Grove. And I was, I had not heard of the Bohemian Grove. Um, I knew a little bit about conspiracy theory, but not a lot. And so, I was like, so just so I have, guy? I don't want to interrupt you, but just so I I'm totally make sure I have this clear. So, uh, Richard was a real life superhero who decided to break yeah. into Bohemian Grove in, in presumably in superhero costume to rec to, to save people. Yes. That's amazing. Yes, exactly. That's amazing. That's amazing. What, what, yeah. What happened was, um, he was living in Austin 
and he was watching cable access. That's where these stories always start. I mean, that, that's where <laughs> like, I live in Austin, so I don't watch cable. That, that's the, the, like, like the Alex Jones or uh, Alex Jones and Bill Hicks origin stories as well. Yeah. 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 He was watching cable access and he caught Alex Jones and, um, he, Alex Jones had made this documentary quotes around documentary about the Bohemian Grove. I remember that because I was, I was working at uh, the disinformation company when that came out and he tried to get us to put it out and we did not want to. And then I think he put (laughs) it out himself. So yeah. Yeah, he did. And it was, you know, some of his earlier work, it's a very, um, you know, low budget documentary. And, but Richard was in a very bad mental state at that time. He had lost, both of his parents had died pretty close to each other. Uh, he was unemployed. Um, and he, he was not in a good place. So he saw this documentary and he was kind of like, aha, here's something I can do. I can break into the Bohemian Grove and and save these people that they're going to burn in front of the owl statue there. So he created this persona, the Phantom Patriot, and it's a pretty menacing looking costume. He has a he had a rubber skull mask and uh, sort of a like a paramilitary jumpsuit. And um, well, this sounds like a modern white supremacist uh, uniform. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, he wasn't into that stuff, but well, he wasn't into that stuff, but he might've been without knowing it. You know, some of the theories, I don't think that he thought were, were racist, but do have a racist origin. But anyway, he, he has this costume and then he got an arsenal pretty much. He had, um, a rifle, a pistol, a ninja sword, a smoke bomb launcher, a crossbow. I mean, this guy thought he was going to do like a comic book uh, action movie where he was going to save people from, you know, the evil new world order dressed in Druid robes who were making a sacrifice to Satan. So, um, he, he did it. He snuck into the Grove. This was in January. There really wasn't anyone there but he thought that there might be a satanic holiday thing happening. And he kind of wandered around um, and eventually ran into the security guard. They have a security guard that's there all year round and ended up having a standoff with the police, very tense standoff. And then he went to jail for about six and a half years and wrote to me while he was still on parole. So I ended up, and I was just very fascinated with the story. At first, I think my fascination was, here's this, a kind of crazy story with a guy in a costume raiding this secret society. But as time went on, I kind of, I was like, this guy is not alone in his thinking. There's actually a lot of people out there that might not have this radical of an idea, but they certainly believe in some of the same things that he does. So then I just wanted to kind of look at the bigger picture of why do so many people believe some of this stuff and why is it, how is it evolving? So yeah, and I, I'm more of a bigger picture study. Did you, did you realize at the time how un- unbelievably more topical this would, this would become with things like January 6th and, and all of that and the, the, the QAnon shaman and other such, oh, uh, no, uh, I, the, the new justice league of superheroes that is formed. <laughs> it's really funny. I wrapped the book up in 2019 and, you know, I thought it was good timing because I mean, Trump was the president and he's a conspiracy theorist. I was like, you know, there's not a big gap between Richard McCaslin and some of the things that Trump promotes. But when I was wrapping it up in 2019, I was like, I really hope that there might be some topical story in 2020 that would tie into this book that I can talk about. And that, of course, turned out not to be a problem at all. It was like the tidal wave of conspiracy came in. And and like you said, uh, I was January 6th, I was completely in shock just because I was like, 
maybe Richard McCaslin was like the zeitgeist of our time. Yeah, he's like a, he's very ahead of his time in a way. I mean, I'm kind of thinking as you're telling this is an amazing story. As you're telling the story, I'm kind of thinking there's something very. I mean, the title of your book, American Madness, is very apropos because there is something very like high camp or American about this collision of kind of delusions of this guy dressed as a superhero breaking into a place of a bunch of, you know, rich old guys worshiping an owl. Uh, even if it's just a country club type thing that they do, it's, it's, they're, you know, they're all doing their own delusional live action role-playing session. So, yeah. uh, and then, but then to think about like, yeah, it's like when the president of the United States is a conspiracy theorist. It's like, what does this say about, you know, the, uh, what was it, uh, Richard Hofstadter or something like that referred to as the, uh, the conspiratorial mode of American politics. I'm probably getting that, that wrong, but just that there's something about America that produces this conspiracy mentality, uh, possibly because we're tentative, tenuous as a country, maybe because we're founded on getting rid of authority i don't know yeah yeah it's um it's a real really alarming how mainstream has become um i write a column on my website once in a while called tease weird week and uh a column i did earlier this year maybe last year was i said it was a column titled who said it richard mccaslin or marjorie taylor green <laughs> And it was impossible to tell because they had a lot of the same talking points. So, so it's just, you know, she's a member of Congress. So what do you make of that? I mean, like, you know, I've, I've been in, you know, I've, I've worked for multiple publishers that put out conspiracy theory stuff back in my early, my early career. And, um, of one of which was Feral House, by the way, but it's all always tongue in cheek. It's always been tongue in cheek with Feral House, but, um, as it was with, uh, disinformation, but, um, you know, certainly, one thing I've talked about a lot on the podcast is how in the eighties and the nineties conspiracy theories were very much part of the zeitgeist with X-Files and things like that, but they were fun. Yeah. I usually liken them right. as, as like a type of folk art, but then at yeah. some point, maybe from David Icke onwards, they started to get a lot more uncool uh, and, yeah. and sinister. Yeah. And now here we are in this kind of moment where everyone's a conspiracy theorist and everyone's brain is spinning 360 degrees in their, in their skull, it seems like. And, and so what I wanted to ask you was like, you know, what do you make of people like Trump and Marjorie Taylor green amplifying stuff like that? Do they actually believe it or are they just kind of doing the same thing the evangelicals used to do in, or, or rather the Republicans used to do in appealing to the evangelical base to kind of like get them enthusiastic with their, by, by playing into their own mythology yeah yeah um well so first i'll just comment that um i i totally agree like i remember in the 90s i love x files i was like the right demographic for that show for sure so i had this kind of romantic fun version of conspiracy as being like you know the guys in the lone gunman who are yeah. you know they they knew the truth and and i you know i i like to read about ufos and bigfoot and all that stuff but it, it definitely took an ugly turn. And I really think Alex Jones is probably responsible for a lot of that. Um, yeah, I think that people like Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they know that their followers are just going to eat it up when they, they throw out stuff out there. I don't think that they necessarily believe everything that they say. I do think that Trump, um, he kind of thinks that whatever he feels in his gut is like a fact. Which a lot of people feel. I think that on on all sides of the political spectrum, I think there's something very American about that as well. And so you're kind of like yeah, the lone yeah. cowboy against the world. And if you, and, and, and in fact, this is kind of what dom dominates so much of our political discourse right now is like, well, if I feel it, then it's valid. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think if, if someone tells Trump, hey, Obama's birth certificate is a fake. And here I have a really bad source for that. And he takes a look at it. He's like, that's got to be true. It's true, you know, because <laughs> he feels it's so, true. So I think he does believe some of that, just because he is he's so like wrapped up in himself that <laughs> he doesn't need a news a fact check news source. He just needs to think that it's correct. Well, it seems like Marjorie Taylor Greene pretty clearly believes what she's saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's not very, um, I, I think that she does believe a lot of what she says. 
So but, if you're fall, if kind of you've been taking um, uh, Richard as as a you know as a way to talk about this as a focal point. Yeah. Um, is this something that you've seen evolve? Do you think this is going to keep getting more and more extreme? And it's interesting hearing you talk about this because there was definitely, there really was that delusional super heroic quality to the January 6th, uh, yeah. whatever happened there. I mean, you know, they really thought they were going to, you know, find evidence of satanic pedophilia, yeah. like on the floor of the Senate or something like that. Uh, and I don't know, like where, where do you trace a trend line through all of this? It, it very, yeah, it very much reminded me of Richard's raid on the Bohemian Grove in 2002. It was just um, uh, more alarming because instead of like one individual, it was this massive crowd of thousands of people who are like all on the same page for this. And I think we're going to see more stuff like that in the future for sure. I mean, we already did. I, I'm sure you heard that news story where there was like this militia group in Michigan that was going to kidnap the governor, the oh. governor of Michigan. And, well, you know that like four out of five people planning that turned out to be FBI agents. Oh yeah. Yeah. So there's also a certain angle to this where it's like, you really got to wonder how much yeah. people are, um, kind of whipped into a frenzy. There was a famous movie or excuse me, not famous at all. Um, that came out that was done by the British satirist Chris Morris. I think it was called The Day Before Today. Uh, let me look it up real quick. And it's it basically it's a, it's a it's a it's drama. It's a fiction fictional movie, but it is about the phenomenon of the FBI kind of finding lone mentally ill people and spending inordinate amounts of time pushing them into becoming violent extremists, uh, so that they can then arrest them and justify their budgets. Oh yeah. The name of the movie is the day shall come. Uh, um, um, which I highly recommend. I'll just give you, it's about the, uh, leader. It's a poor, about a poor leader of a, uh, black religious commune in Miami that are like Heidi, Heidi Selassie followers that are targeted by the FBI and kind of amped up into becoming extremists. And it's played as a, as a comedy. Uh, but, it's, you know, a very serious movie about a, 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 you know, this guy was really, really trying to call attention from England about how corrupt this process is. And I, I wonder that, including with, uh, you know, when January uh, January 6th happened, you know, the head of the Proud Boys was an FBI informant. You really got to wonder, it's like how much of this is manufactured or, yeah. or pushed at the least. Yeah. Uh, when I was working on the book, I went to a, a Flat Earth conference in Dallas. And, um, there's about 500 people there, but I was like, I wonder how many people here are actually flat earthers and how many are like either like undercover journalists or people that are just curious to see what flat earthers look like. Right. Or, or like un undercover cops. Agencies. Yeah. yeah. Undercover right, hipsters. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I mean, there's, a lot of violence waiting to happen out there and you know we'll talk about that what are what are your perceptions of that having studied it um i mean i just think that january 6th kind of proved it and stuff like that uh attempt in michigan there's this like a lot of people who want to take down the government you know and um I'm worried to see what happens, especially with things like, you know, conspiracy, deep fakes and stuff like that is really pushing people down the rabbit hole. Yeah, um, I have a lot of thoughts about this that I kind of go back and forth on. One is. Um, I mean, America is founded on anti-authoritarianism and, and, and this is gonna rub people the wrong way i'm sure and i'm certainly not condoning january 6th but how different is january 6th really from a lot of the founding myths of the country of like the boston tea party and things like that like is there really any difference there other than the fact that it was an unsuccessful insurrection um the other thought that i have is well who you know it's like i, I also get somewhat disgusted by the you know the uh, liberal gatekeepers of what is truth and what is not kind of basically 
in so many words saying, you know, well, these people are white trash and they don't deserve to have a voice. And it's like, so basically what you're saying is that poor people don't even have the shouldn't even be allowed to guess at who has power over them. Because the truth is we do live in a a world of bad actors, malevolent corporations, you know, uh, uh, Citizens United, political corruption, you know, uh, uh, Koch brothers, you know, people, uh, uh, you know, dark money, things like that. All of that is real. Um, it's not this delusional kind of um, comic book version of it, which really just harms people from perceiving their their um, their their status in the world. So, but yeah. then, of course, the other side of that is, well, um, you know, if you study genocide research, it's like the first thing that the, the the thing that you never want to happen is to have your no matter how bad your government may be, you don't want your government delegitimized, and certainly not. Um, disrupted or overthrown because that's when really bad things happen. Yeah. Something you kind of hit on there that I wanted to mention was, you know, in this, this book, I thought it was important to, to get to know Richard. And um, I, I really liked him actually. Um, you know, I would talk to people about him and they'd be like, Oh, this guy sounds crazy and, and stuff. But um, you know, he was a nice guy. He could be a very funny guy. He was creative. Uh, he drew his own like comic books where he would talk about his mission and stuff like that. And, uh, and he was not dumb. He was well read on history. Um, he was an avid reader. So, you know, I, it kind of opened my eyes as to like, you know, how I perceive people that have these beliefs. Um, and, you know, it was very unfortunate in his case, though, he eventually died. Uh, he took his own life. And uh, I think that was, I very strongly believe that's because he just, um, it was too much for him. Everything. He, like, saw a conspiracy everywhere and he just couldn't take living here, living anymore. Do you, do you, I mean, I never want to play armchair diagnosis, but it sounds like he was mentally ill as well. Like there were some other issues going on there. Yeah, I didn't, I mean, it's not a discussion I had with him because I guess I didn't feel comfortable or I didn't know how to bring it up, but yeah, I would say that, um, I don't know. I don't want to diagnose him either cause I'm not right. a professional, but yeah, there was something going on there. I would say, yeah, I don't know he, what exactly. So where did, what did you go into this thinking you were going to find? And it sounds like kind of like as your relationship developed uh, in talking with him, uh, you said your attitude, your attitudes shifted. And I'm curious what that shift was and what that process and journey was in, in working with him or writing about him. I mean, I think the, the shift was uh, just getting to know him and um, realizing that he was a, a, a person, not like, just a caricature like I kind of first saw of him. Um, that's just what happens when you actually take the time to get to know another person is you find things in common. And um, and so, I don't know, it just humanized like the whole story for me a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, one, one thing that people talk about a bit but not enough is you know, people obviously talk about there's a mental health crisis in America and most likely the world, but um, just how many people are kind of suffering in silence with with, with uh, mental illness, which may be exacerbated by things like you said, you know, he was unemployed, both of his parents died. But then, uh, you know, society-wide, we have no idea how much things were exacerbated by basically putting people in, in solitary isolation for a long yeah. period of time. I mean, that was very mentally rough on me. Uh, yeah, and and yeah. I feel like going through that now, by the way, like I have a way better understanding of how, you know, maybe you're a person with some suspicions and beliefs and, you know, kind of cynicism, but it's like, then when you get put through, un you know, trauma and stress, you know, that stuff can mutate. Quarantine had, you know, everyone was in isolation and a lot of people were spending that time by going to YouTube and, you know. Um, uh, when I, so going back to the flat earthers, something that I read in a, a report or something was that like 95% of flat earthers got into it 
because YouTube kicked them down a, a rabbit hole. So they were looking for something else. And then they're like, oh, hey, you might like this video on flat earth. And then that would lead to another one and another one until, you know, they were starting to adopt those beliefs. So I think during the pandemic, a lot of people were going down rabbit holes. And- Do people actually believe? I mean, that's the thing. It's like flat earth of all conspiracy theories, like other than like, I don't know, like the Loch Ness Monster was Jack the Ripper. Like a flat, <laughs> flat, that's an old, that's a, I forget where that's from. That's not my joke. But um, uh, even in the 80s and 90s, nobody, to my knowledge, nobody believed flat earth. Except I think actually this is a slight trivia. (laughs) One of the most famous flat earthers was, I think it was flat earther or something like that, was the Batman comic artist Neil Adams who was famous. I don't know if you know him, but he was really famous in the seventies. He's kind of the guy that did the more modern dark version of Batman first in the seventies before Frank Miller. And he was always like, he did green arrow, green lantern. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Apparently he was always just at comic conventions. Like, and when people came up to get their comic signed, he would like, you know, lay a flat earth trip on them and be trying to get the (laughs) info out that way. It's just like, it's so it's, 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 you know, one of the things I found, studying cults or you know all the the all that wild wacky and weird stuff you know the, the basically the subject of belief is how it is not class determined or anything like that it's like anybody at any time can end up getting sucked down a rabbit hole of really weird and the question is really weird weird ideas and then the question is why you know it's like is there you know, I've spent my whole life immersed in weird ideas, so I feel like I'm fairly inoculated to taking anything too seriously. But yeah. um, it, it just makes you wonder. It's like, how do you how do you end up becoming dressing like a superhero and breaking into Bohemian Grove, or devoting your life to getting out the truth about flat Earth? I mean, is it just like that's what you drive your sense of personal significance from? That you know this thing that nobody else does, and even if you're powerless, therefore you have this power. Yeah, I mean, in Richard's case, I think he really was feeling like powerless. Um, Things were not going the way he wanted to uh, at all. So he was very looking for something to fulfill his life. And he wasn't finding that in a career. Um, You know, he didn't have a relation like a romantic relationship at all. Uh, And so, like, he was looking for a calling and so when he started getting into Alex Jones, he, um, that was like, he was like, this is going to be my mission. I'm going to, I'm going to, he had this vision in his mind that he was going to go in there in a costume and like free these children stuck in a cage. And then he was going to bust the grove wide open. And all of these like wealthy, powerful men would be shoved in the back of a cop car and he'd be on the front page of every newspaper in America as a hero. So there was a very high level of delusion there, of course, but um, that was his, his big dream. This, you know, this, this sounds like the movie taxi driver. Yeah, there is definitely an element to that, especially because uh, one thing I talked about in the book too, was he did develop kind of a, an unhealthy fixation on a country music singer named Shelley Wright, who I had never heard of because I'm not really a big country fan, but he had like, she had like a, a charity auction and he had bid a bunch of money so he could go out to dinner with her. And he thought they were going to fall in love. And, um, she wasn't interested in him. Of course. Did so, he go to dinner with her? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, he that's, won aw- the that, dinner. that's awkward. Okay. He, he went to dinner with her and, you know, it, it was awkward and, uh and uh so you know he was very disappointed with that and that was very shortly before he did this bohemian grove raid so i think that was kind of like his last hope that he was reaching for for like something good that would happen in his life yeah and it didn't happen and that's so i that was like he'd already been sort of planning it but that was sort of like the last straw and he decided to to actually do it so so that was a little taxi driver-ish for sure. Yeah, no, I, I actually, for actually in Austin recently, they had um taxi driver revival on the big screen and I went to see it and I was like, 
okay, well, this is going to be interesting watching this in 2023 or 2022, yeah. whenever I saw it. I was like, okay, let's see how this plays now. And it was like, yeah, the, the most shocking thing about that movie, I mean, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it, probably most people have, but, you know, Robert De Niro plays a taxi driver in New York in the 70s who feels alone and insignificant, and he develops this fixation on um, first Sybil uh, Shepherd, who works at a political campaign, and that doesn't go well. And then he decides to redeem himself by murdering the pimp of a teenage prostitute who's Jodie Foster. But And I was just like, okay, this is like the prototypical kind of school shooter movie. But the thing that was most shocking about it is the end of that movie, they play him as a hero. It's like there's all these newspaper clippings come out of like, you know, the girl's parents thanking him and the, the, you know, and the question is like, is this his delusion or in the seventies was, were they actually playing this straight? It's like the seventies were so anti-authoritarian that they were like, yeah, you know, like this guy actually is in a way the, the anti-hero It obviously plays a lot different now. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but I, I, uh, you know, it, the broader question here, I think is not, obviously there's a mental health question to be asked, but I think a deeper question than that is where, where is the safety net in this, in this country? Because I think ideally, at least in my mind, our country would be composed of people who had enough compassion and understanding to be able to clock things like this not judge people or demonize people, but actually be patient and provide them with, with resources to, um, move, move out of extremism. Uh, and that doesn't mean necessarily deprogramming or again, demonizing or anything like that. It's just basically catching somebody before they hurt themselves. Um, yeah. and, and well, you know, doing things to bring them back into a sense of belonging and, and, and being cared for. Yeah, I mean, when when he died, uh, Richard died in 2018, um, and I, I felt very bad. I felt a little bit guilty, um, I think, as most people do when someone decides to take their own life that you knew because you you ask yourself, could I have engaged this person better? You know, could I have um, tried to stay in touch more often and stuff like that? And I just remember feeling very sad and I was like, he didn't have to go out like that. I wish he could have found something like a support group, um, someone to help with his mental health. Uh, you know, like I said, he liked to draw. He was very creative. He could have done something with that and, and been engaged somehow, but, um, it's a, it's a tough country. Um, I mean, our healthcare system and everything, doesn't really make that easy sometimes. So uh, I wish that there was a better support net for lots of people, you know, not, not just people that are um, getting a little too deep in conspiracy theory, but just there's so many people that have mental issues that need to be addressed. Yeah, that it, it is a tough country and, and, and it is a country where you have access to what you need if you have the money, but not if you don't. Right, and I think exactly. it's probably that black and white, and that's that's I think the real tragedy of America is um, you you know compassion is not free in this country, right? And it's been that way forever. It's this it got this brutal punitive edge to it. Of it's like you work or you don't eat, or you know you yeah. don't get you don't get rehabilitated from your your health issues. Uh, it's really yeah. very very cruel. Um, yeah. I think that's something they got right in the movie Joker where they kind of show him being failed by the system, even his, um, his social worker and things like that. That was not as present in taxi driver, which that movie is kind of a, a riff on. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's worrying because I think, I feel like a lot of people who get really deep into this stuff. Like there's, they're they obviously have a lot of obsess, obsessional mental energy, but it's like, it's this type of energy or creativity or intelligence that could be, if it was harnessed towards something constructive, bring them all the things they need. Yeah. 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 I think he could, have, I think he could have done that. And I think he was trying to do it, it, but the problem was he also had very unrealistic expectations for everything. For example, uh, you know, bidding on dinner with a country music star and then thinking that she's going to fall in love with you because 
you essentially paid to go out to dinner with her. But he also tried to create a comic book in, you know, he was hoping that like DC or Marvel would pick it up. And, um, and they didn't, of course, I'm sure they just threw it straight into the, the garbage and didn't read it. In fact, I think that's their policy is unsolicited material just gets thrown away. Um, and then he thought he made these um, videos. He paid a production company to make these videos where he was like a fictionalized version of the Phantom Patriot. And again, he thought like he was going to send a DVD copy of this to like Adult Swim or, um, you know, a cable channel and it was going to get picked up and he was going to be a star and he'd make a bunch of money doing that. So he was trying, but his expectations were just so beyond reality, you know? Yeah, that's, that's troubling. I mean, because where's the line between him and any number of my creative friends or people trying to actually break into a creative industry or myself, you know, it's like, or anyone who like primarily promotes themselves on the internet. It's like, where's the line there or, or anyone who's just on social media. I mean, that's very troubling because I don't know. One of the scariest things to me is the line of like, where is reality and where do you start to slip into your own false thinking? It might not be fully delusional like that, but I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, end up in loops of wrong thinking pretty much every day. I mean, it could just be interpreting something somebody says incorrectly or go even going down a mental rabbit hole of ruminating on, on something um, that's not necessarily true. And, and that's, that's quite, that's scary to me. Yeah, it was, I mean, I understood why he was so frustrated because it is very frustrating and heartbreaking sometimes to be completely rejected for a creative project you're doing. Yeah. But especially so if your if your expectation is that like DC comics is going to pick it up or something. Well, I mean, this is disturbing for me because I've like pitched things to DC comics. It's just like, and and, and I felt the rejection of that, you know, this is when I was much younger, but yeah. You know, if I guess if you're a mentally unstable person, it's like suddenly that can become a cosmic conspiracy against you or something like that, where any creative person is constantly facing rejection. And the only difference between somebody who, quote unquote, makes it or not, or is just if they continue persevering until something does work. But that's really, really, um, that's mentally rough. And I think that, you know, most writers go through seven years of rejection. Um, I was just talking with somebody today about, you know, and even in Hollywood, even if, if, uh, you've quote unquote made it, actors and models are constantly having to go to auditions and being critiqued on every single aspect of their appearance. And now people are expected to kind of figure it out themselves to, you know, promote themselves on social media first. And, you know, Justin Bieber became famous that way. And now everyone thinks that they're going to become famous from social media. And so some of the question here is like, how much are the unrealistic expectations from society that doesn't really understand what's going on, doesn't know what it wants. And I think America in general runs on a lot of delusion right now, whether it's political or people thinking they're going to be influencers or it's like, what happened to people like, you know, building cars, right. And having normal expectations. And I say this as a very abnormal person uh, who's on the internet, you know, is an internet person and all this. And I have been for most of my life, but you know, I yeah. recognize that there are aspects to that that are not normal and not not necessarily totally healthy. Um, so, you and know, I think a lot of people really want to take a shortcut too. like they're like, I want to be an expert on this or I want to be, you know, a major part of this movement and I want to do it overnight. So there's not like, um, I don't know, there's this impatience that I think adds to all that, too. Yeah. Well, particularly when things move and change so fast, you know, yeah. like, like the public's attention, like ping pongs multiple times a day. So, you know, if you invest all your time into something that's transitory, then, you know, the public will just move on. Um, yeah. And it sounds like this guy had no other grounding influences in his life or, or reality checks. No, he was an only child. So, um, you know, his parents died, like I said, he was unemployed. And then, you know, I remember this too, was a big part of it. What we were just talking about, even back then he had this big hope to make a superhero movie with his friend 
he'd come up with these characters, he made the costumes, and his friend kind of flaked out on him. So this creative project never happened, which, you know, you would think that doesn't compare to like the death of your parents and other stuff. But I think it was at that point, that was kind of like his hope of creating this thing falling apart was like just devastating to him yeah. on top of everything else. Well, if he, it sounds like he'd kind of put all of his eggs in that basket and yeah. maybe he was hoping that that would be the thing that redeemed him from, I think he did that a lot in his life too. He put all of his eggs in one basket is a good way to put it. I think there's a couple of key points in his life where he did that and it was not a, a, a wise move. Right. Yeah. I imagine particularly if, you know, it's very hard um, I think particularly for, you know, deeply feeling or creative people, it's like to feel something is this vision you have to get across that it's so all important, all encompassing. And you put your, you really do put your all into something and then it's rejected. And I guess it's the same in dating, I suppose, you know, but, but, um, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you don't necessarily have a little bit of distance on that, that's basically like you being rejected. So I can see how that would be um, and being told you're not worthy. So I can see how that, even though that's not the case at all, I mean, there may be 18 billion other factors why something didn't work, whether it's, um, you know, the friend drops out or the publisher's not interested in that at that time or whatever. It may not be personal at all, but I can see how... Yeah. Um, somebody who, with a little bit less balance could be devastated by something like that. Cause that stuff is hard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah. So where do you, so, where do you think it goes from here? I mean, um, do you have any in, in from going through this experience, which sounds, you know, maybe, maybe a little personally hard for you as well. Um, do you have any kind of takeaways to bring from this in terms of how this might be addressed as a society going forward? That was a big question I was thinking of when I was trying to wrap the book up is like, how can, um, how can I help people like Richard? Uh, you know, and I just think, and I know there has been some programming on this, but I think media literacy is really important at this point just understanding what um good news sources might be what their biases might be um uh, how to spot fake news deep fakes stuff like that better education in general i think and also just uh, encouraging people to have conversations with people about this stuff you know Instead of just laughing and calling someone crazy and telling them that they need to go get their tinfoil hat or whatever. Yeah. Like maybe try to take a moment to understand where that person is coming from and why they're afraid and angry and um, believe some of these things. But but it's a hard question. I don't, I don't really know that I know the answer, but I think it's something that's needs to be addressed. It's a, it's a problem, especially when people, um, determine that the solution is violence towards themselves or other people. What do you, maybe another, a different question would be, what do you feel that his true need was? Cause underneath all of that, that he was trying to fulfill by, um, how he went about fulfilling things. I mean, clearly his true and burning need was not to rescue imaginary children from cages. Um, did he just want to connect? Did he want, uh, he needed someone to care about him? I mean, what do you think it was? I think in his case, he was unique or maybe not so unique uh, in that he really wanted to be a superhero. Like um, he had read in the thousands of comic books that he had absorbed. I think superhero comics were very much escapism for him. Um, His parents argued a lot. Um, uh, You know, his father was sometimes abusive towards him. physically and would tell him things like, I wish you hadn't been born and stuff like that. Mm. Later, I think he developed um, a better relationship with his parents, um, you know, after he had gotten out of the house. But so to escape from that world, he would read these comic books and 
took that like fight of good versus evil very literally. And I, I think he really did want to be a superhero of some sort. Well, so that was his motivation. I mean, but I think other people too. I mean, if you look at like the guy who uh, broke in the comet ping pong because he thought they were keeping children is very similar case to Richard. He, I also think, um, wanted to be like a, not a superhero, but uh, a heroic person. Yeah. But I mean, look, I mean, like everyone who reads comics when they're kids uh, or teenagers, most likely yeah. is, is, you know, it is an escape fantasy. It is a place to escape to, or that could be any another other number of media. Um, but that's kind of what comic books are for. And, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily lead to violence. It's like, you know, I think probably a lot of people listening to this podcast probably grew up reading comics and wanting to be the hero and, um, potentially doing so to escape real life circumstances that were less than ideal. Uh, but that, you know, but that's also like, you know, the Senator Patrick, uh, uh, Leahy, I forget, that's his how it's pronounced. Name is pronounced. I can't remember Leahy, Patrick Leahy or Leahy. Um, yeah grew up reading Batman and became a Senator, you know, it's like people take that stimulus and do different things with it. So why was in his case, why did it end up the way that it did? Um, you know, the only other thing is there is this subculture of real life superheroes and they're just like that special brand of person who makes that, uh, leap over the line of like, I'm reading this and it's good fantasy to I'm actually going to do this and put together a costume. And um, I don't know, is this a certain personality or calling for a very small group of people who want to actually do it? Why, why do these people always fixate on the idea that there's children being trafficked or kidnapped or something like this? I mean, this is the same with Comet Ping Pong or January 6th, QAnon. Why is that the obsession? It's very weird to me. It's like this, I mean, obviously these things are going on to some extent, but at the same time, it's like, it's ratcheted, it's ratcheted up. I mean, it's not like Jeffrey Epstein wasn't a thing, but right, it's right, ratcheted yeah. up to this point where it's like this a delusional mythology that probably harms, uh, people who are actually trying to end human trafficking and things like that more than anything else, because it wraps it it up with this bizarre, violent insanity. Why, why do people uh, fixate on this so much? Um, I think that political hatred is so strong that when you say, Oh, Hillary Clinton is actually a reptilian alien and her and the other Democrats like are pedophiles that eat human adrenochrome, you know, it's just, um, by by the way, go ahead. I have a question after this, but keep going. I don't want to derail your, your thread. Uh, I think that that's appealing to people who hate like Democrats and they're like, yeah, of course it makes sense. It makes totally sense. They're evil people. They're doing the most evil thing. It doesn't make sense at all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't but but to them it does because they hate them so much and they're like um it explains as to why they don't like them because they're doing like the most awful thing that you could do pedophilia murder satanic worship being a literal cold-blooded alien from another planet i feel like there might be a deeper deeper level to that though i mean because i remember in the I talk about all too often on this podcast, the satanic panic in the eighties. It's like this weird Freudian projection thing where like somebody's deepest shadow is revealed by what they accuse other people of. And it's like, you know, in the eighties they were saying, Oh, there's Satanists everywhere that are abusing and sacrificing children, all of which turned out to be true. And then it turned out it was true. It was just the Catholic church that was doing it. So it was like the people, uh, or, you know, I mean the people, the satanic panic was more evangelical, but you know, it really is this question of like pointing the finger to direct attention away from yourself, maybe. And I'm just yeah, looking at this sure. and I'm like, why are these people so ungodly hung up on this like fantasy of, of it's and it is the same thing as the satanic panic. It's just like an even more demented, mutated version of it. That's more yeah. global and all encompassing. And, you know, uh, now they believe that Putin is invading the Ukraine to stop pedophiles in the Ukraine. It's just like to- total, 
total disconnect from reality. But, you know, I wonder looking at that psychologically, what is, what does this tell us about kind of the people making these claims? It is kind of old an old, um, scapegoat because, uh, you know, there used to be, they used to say that like, um, Jewish people would take Christian babies and had a blood libel thing. And so it's kind of this old, yeah, you yeah, know, it's kind of a little disturbingly this, close to that. This group of people is after your children and this is an, you know, an evil group or race of people. So I don't know. It's in our DNA somehow. Well, but, yeah, I mean, it certainly seems to be in the, in the American DNA, um, yeah. or per, perhaps, perhaps the Christian DNA. I, th I think that, um, you know, there's, there's parallels to the witch trials or certainly, you know, the inquisition, um, yeah. you know, was directly, they were like, Oh, Jewish people caused the black plague by poisoning the wells. This is a total, total insanity. Um, but yet people get wrapped up in these things and it's utterly destructive to people's lives. But I was going to ask you before, is adrenochrome even real? I've never been clear on that. I, wasn't that something that Hunter Thompson made up in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? I'm, I swear that that's he made it up, right? That was definitely my introduction to it was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas where they, you know, they did a human adrenochrome that supposedly had come from a, an, a human. But yeah, he made that up in the book. And He did. Um, I I don't think it's. Oh wait, it is a thing. I, wait, it is a thing. You know, I remember it from the book where he was like, he's just like they're they're trying to demonstrate. He's trying to demonstrate how high either he or his lawyer is because they're yeah, doing this yeah. rap about elites harvesting adrenochrome. But apparently, uh, there is a thing. I'm on the Wikipedia. You know, this is good because the caveat at, at the beginning is this article is about a chemical compound for the conspiracy theory about satanic child <laughs> sacrifice. See QAnon, which is then followed by for the Sisters of Mercy song. See, some girls wander by mistake. Um, so, you know, this is going to be good. So it is a, a chemical compound produced by the oxidation of adrenaline. Uh, it was under limited research in the fifties through seventies as a potential cause of schizophrenia. It has no medical application. Um, it apparently some administration of it triggers psychotic reactions through thought disorder and derealization. Uh, I guess some people thought it might be the cause of schizophrenia, but that, um, that was disproven. Yeah. It's not even detectable in people with schizophrenia. So basically it's just a pop cult. Yeah. Well, oh, it starts at Huxley mentioned it in 1954 saying that it would be like mescaline intoxication, but he never had it. Uh, Anthony Burgess mentions it in clockwork orange, uh, mm -hmm just off the cuff. And then Hunter Thompson, yeah, it says Hunter Thompson, Hunter Thompson mentioned it in fear and loathing. And this is the likely origin of current myths surrounding the compound because a character states that there's only one source for this stuff. The adrenaline, the, the adrenaline glands <laughs> from a living human body. It's no good if you get it out of a corpse, <laughs> which was also in the movie. So it's like, okay, like yeah. maybe that is that literally where this started is just somebody took that seriously. I probably maybe I mean it's uh I I can't think of where else they would get it from but yes it's developed into such a myth and keeping up with QAnon is this it's really mentally exhausting uh, yeah <laughs> I, something I, I wouldn't is that how do you, do you are you aware of where that's at now i mean has that like fizzled out or i maybe it's back now that i mean now they've indicted trump so maybe it's flaring it back back up again i don't know yeah i would I would guess they definitely have a theory about some secret plan that this is part of. Um, I, I try to keep up with it, but I think over the last year I've been like not as deep into it just because it's really mentally tolling. But the, the last thing I was sort of keeping track of was that group. There's a group in Dallas that was very certain that, um, John Kennedy Jr. was going to appear last oh, year. Oh yeah, no, that became part of the mainstream QAnon thing, didn't it? Like, yeah. like J JFK Jr. was going to appear from hiding, and he and Trump were going to save the. 
right us like and he'd be like king arthur i mean like that i mean there's a certain romantic appeal to that right i mean it's like oh like the the good side of america returns but which is why yeah. this stuff is so interesting to me as well because it really is i feel like if you look at it as um as modern mythology like collective mythology i mean that's as that's as epic as any medieval mythology and it tells you all you all you need to know about kind of what's going on on the deep at the deep psyche level of the culture that's why i'm so interested in stuff like that because you're not going to find out about what's going on with people through the news or through official studies or anything like that that's just at such a surface level but the stories people tell about their lives even if the conspiracy theories especially you know I, I see it as a form of outsider art but it'll tell you things it'll tell you truths now don't get me wrong not truths in the literal sense but psychological truths about what people are really feeling at a deep cultural level that you won't get from any of the the sanitized information sources i think that really says a lot because i remember hearing that and thinking like and being touched by it it's like oh wouldn't that be nice if that was true it's like you know the reality of course is that jfk jr was kind of didn't do a whole lot when he was alive and was kind of just a, a playboy not just but you know he did have this aura of you know he was going to be the savior a little bit yeah you know yeah. like with and he was well, he was dating princess Di at one point and something like that it's like oh like the prom queen and king mom and dad will return to make everything right <laughs> and there's yeah. such like this pull of like wouldn't that be a beautiful fairy tale story and you can't help but thinking it's like what if life truly could be that you know um uh fairy tale like and satisfying and and everything could come to a everything could have a happy ending you know if only it was like that um and, yeah. and so that specifically out of the q anon thing i was very um surprised and touched by i think yeah yeah they uh it was a big thing um where there was like hundreds of q anon supporters who showed up in dallas on this date i forget what the date was and what the significance was uh thinking he would reappear to them at dealey plaza right where his his father had been shot and um and he didn't and most of them went home but not all of them there was like a group that kind of uh they they got rooms at a hotel in dallas and stayed there for weeks afterwards kind of this core group of dallas QAnon supporters so um i don't know what happened with that group uh but i was following the story for a while and once in a while i see something but i haven't seen anything lately i guess because i haven't been looking for it but i i would bet that they're they're up to something yeah the ones that are still remaining that's so interesting i mean like that that's so poetically beautiful in a way it's like and it is such um like this arthurian thing like the sun will return at the side of the the fall the side of his his father's the falling of his father the fallen warrior the sun shall return the, the sun sh like the literal sun sun will return and bring light to the world again and put everything in order and redeem the sacrifice of the father i mean that's just like perfect mythology or, or you know jungian symbolism it's just utterly perfect and and yeah. perhaps shows this kind of um Arthurian collective unconscious or something like that and yet it's being enacted not in a story or a play but by people's literal beliefs in this kind of cultic fashion which is why this stuff is so interesting to me yeah. um I mean that that that's better than you know like that that for me is a true myth because it's actually about the actual symbols and happening happenings and, and realities of America going back to like the literal Camelot mythos of, of Kennedy's court. And it's not a manufactured story. That feels like a real story that emerged from the, the culture's collective insecurities, yearnings, and needs. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm also very fascinated with how this group sees symbolism in, in everything really. Um, anything with a Q in it, of course, uh 17 which would be the 17th letter of the alphabets um they'll see like and anything that i don't know seems like it's a little bit of a wink to them they'll put a deep meaning into so they have this very elaborate like language and uh symbols that they fit together and 
kind of a creative way, I have to admit, sometimes, you know? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it really should be studied uh, academically. I mean, it really should be studied yeah. by uh, anthropologists, I think, and and recorded as its own as its own belief system that's emerged. Yeah. Not and necessarily I, in a con- not necessarily in a condoning way, but just it should I mean this is something that has happened and is of historical importance. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh and not just QAnon, but the QAnon kind of ties together all conspiracies. So I remember Richard um what was great when I first uh talked to Richard by the way was he emailed me, but he was a bit paranoid about using computers. So probably the first year that I knew him, he sent me handwritten letters in the mail. And they're very fascinating. They'd be like 16 page long letters. And he would explain some of his ideas. But he also saw a deep, um, you know, level of symbols in in everything. And especially anything with an owl to him was the Bohemian Grove. You know, anything that was kind of reptile related, he thought it was about reptilians and a lot of different numbers um, relating to like Masons, like you can be a 33rd degree Mason. So if you saw the number 33, um, Skull and Bones from Yale, they have their own, I think that's 317 is their like secret number. But all these numbers, symbols, you know, um colors even sometimes if he thought something was like uh, american flag colored he thought that might be tied to something so it was very fascinating um if he saw anything that looked like it was backwards he thought that was satanic you know yeah i mean that's a common belief for some reason it's very simplistic uh i find that that uh yeah people who kind of go down that numerology and symbolism route but not through a studied or practiced way, it just becomes very simplistic, uh, too yeah. simplistic, like backwards things are evil or the number 13 is evil. And it's kind of just this yeah. like, uh, um, you know, it's like how people in prison think or something like that. Um, yeah. Well, I think that was part of what was wearing him down. If you, if your mind is seeing all this everywhere you go, that's gotta be awful because it's always like you're, alarmed you're 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 tense because you think that you're seeing this symbol of something evil everywhere right i think that this is not very good for your mental health no it's not i mean this is what i don't know if you ever read robin robert anton wilson back in the day but um he uh he was a editor for playboy who then wrote you know kind of humorous books about conspiracy theories but he, he called this chapel perilous uh, again from arthurian legend actually Uh, And Chapel Perilous is when you start seeing all these synchronicities and connections and symbolisms and meanings and that you have to pass through Chapel Perilous. The the perilous part is you think that it has external meaning and you come through Chapel Perilous when you realize that actually you're the one projecting it on reality. Like you're seeing these Mm. connections. It's your own own, um, cognitive biases, which is very empowering because then you realize, well, if I'm projecting this on reality, what else can I project by looking for it? And this is kind of the point he was trying to get across. It's like, well, I'm filtering my information that I'm receiving from the universe in this way. Could I filter it in a way that makes me more successful and happy? by looking for ways to be more fulfilled or find more love or whatever, you know, anything like that. Um, but while you're in Chapel Perilous, you think that there are these conspiracies everywhere or aliens are talking to you or like, you know, demons are talking to you. And like, that's a very dangerous spot for you and the people around you. But it's also the spot of shamanic initiation where if you come through it and you realize that, you know, as Robert Anton Wilson put it, or the kind of Zen masters put it, that, you know, you are the magician that makes the grass green, that really what you're experiencing is your own perceptual apparatus and meaning making facilities um, in a way that then gives you greater control over them that you, than you had before. Um, then that's very empowering. But if you get stuck, if you get lost in Chapel Perilous, then perhaps you end up, you know, breaking into Bohemian Grove in a superhero costume. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, one one thing maybe we can kind of wrap up on is um, we have, I guess, what, like a year till the election? And it seems like yeah. they have kind of a lid on things. Like things don't seem nearly as insane as they were a few years ago by a long shot. But, um, 
what do you think? I mean, like, are we going to see another potential resurgence of this type of thing of QAnon or January 6th or, or violence on the other side of the fence, you know? Um, I think so. It, it's going to depend a little bit about who the actual candidates are. I mean, I assume it's going to be Trump. You think so? I don't know why. Uh, yeah, I don't know why it wouldn't be. I mean, I mean, I guess there are reasons why it, it might not happen, but I, I think it's it's going to be another ugly one for sure, and people are going to be real riled up about the election being stolen and and all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and I I would like to see where QAnon is going. You you'd think that they would give up at some point, right? Because they've had so many predictions that haven't happened, but <laughs> no, that, really that never stops at, people. <laughs> yeah, it's like they they're just really move the date of the apocalypse the, back. Yeah, yeah, right. Move the goalpost. Oh, that's what I was going to ask example. you. By the way, didn't they at one point, like after Trump kind of betrayed them, didn't they like reject Trump and say that he was now part of the conspiracy and say like you know Trump is no longer the storm, we are the storm, or something to that effect. Yeah, I think some did. I think they sort of split into different factions of like people who are still behind Trump and and those who decided to move on beyond him. So that's maybe something you'll see more of in the upcoming election, like uh, different factions within the factions. And um, yeah, it'll just be an entire nation of conspiracy theorists okay. pitted against each other awesome because that, that was <laughs> so that was so much fun last time <laughs> i was on the edge of my seat literally um well having written this book uh, is there any kind of wisdom you can share on maybe how to weather that storm no pun intended and uh, uh <laughs> or kind of manage that if we see it again um i mean don't try to get sucked into it is my advice to people too much it can be something where you really find yourself getting sucked into what you're studying or observing and it affects you it affected me badly mentally sometimes how so i was i would just be obsessing over like trying to figure out if something was true or not mm. and i'd be like you need to go outside and go for a walk or something. Do you, do you feel like you understand that mental space or tunnel that people were in better? And, and what was that like? Yeah. I mean, you're trying to like confirm something in your mind or disprove something and it becomes an obsession for sure. Your hours go by, you're staring at your screen, like trying to find more information. And um, I can see how, people get sucked into it there is also something kind of like um fantasy escapism about it where you're like i'm on this mission to find the secret that the the sheeple don't know about you know and so it feels very much like you're in a, a dan brown novel or something mm. yeah it's a it's, it's a yeah all right well on the topic of Dan Brown, where can people find out about your books and your, your other work? Yeah. If people go to tkrulos.com, T E A K R U L O S.com, you can find information on all the books I've done. Um, I write a column called T's weird week. I do that about twice a month. And there's a, a tab about upcoming appearances I'm doing and stuff like that too. Got it. And this, this specific book is American madness. American Madness, published by Feral House. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, my school for magic meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class, and until next time, hang in there.